0: Unsurprisingly, Miguel de Unamuno is going to refer to the tragic sense of life at a number of points in his work, Tragic Sense of Life one would really expect him to. And if you're going to look for a definition of what tragic sense of life means, you're gonna be a bit disappointed because he's not going to provide one to you. As a matter of fact, given his philosophy, he would be inconsistent were he try to provide some overarching, fit everything into a box characterization of that sort. Instead, he says that this entire work is a set of reflections and meditations upon the tragic sense of life. So he's approaching this in a way that requires us to go at it from a number of different perspectives and bring in a number of different thinkers. As we go through it, we find some important characterizations that allow us to produce, you might say, something like a composite picture of what the tragic sense of life is supposed to be. And I think the best way to do this is to look at chapter one and then go directly to the conclusion of the work and use those as endpoints and then work our way back inward. So what does he say in, in chapter one? Towards the end of the first chapter the man of flesh and bone where he's making the point that philosophizing is not something purely intellectual and it involves the entire person when it's authentic genuine philosophizing we could say this is a prime example of unamuno's existential position he tells us that there is something which for lack of a better name we will call the tragic sense of life so notice that he is saying well we don't have any better way of expressing this any more precise way we're going to use these terms that are rather evocative and that people should be able to relate to and I will say this that tragedy had a somewhat of a different sense for the educated reader of the early 1900s than it necessarily does for us today where we've cheapened the word and used it to mean any sort of situation where somebody suffers some or where some injustice has been done tragedy is a bit deeper than that and so we want to keep that in mind so he goes on and he says it carries with itself a whole conception of life itself and of the universe so the tragic sense of life is including ourselves it's including the universe in which we find ourselves, often not one that we've chosen in large part, but in which we are fallen or thrown or however we want to put it using whatever terminology, and of life, something that we experience, something that we bear within us, but we cannot completely Cognize. We can approach through rationality, but also through willing, through sentiment, through relationships, through all of these things. And he goes on and he calls this a whole philosophy, more or less formulated, more or less conscious. And that's important there. It's not saying that this is always well-worked out. It's sometimes more or less conscious. That means that sometimes it won't be very conscious at all. It'll be operating almost by instinct. And sometimes it will be quite reflective and conscious, but it may not be conscious of everything. There will still be some parts that are irrational, some parts that are subconscious, some parts that are yet to be discovered in how one works these things out. Then we can also say that not only more or less conscious, he says, more or less formulated. We may not always have the full articulation. As a matter of fact, we can probably say we won't have the entire articulation. Finished philosophical systems or anything like them, whether they're political or social scientific or you know other sorts of things, are probably going to leave something important out. So this is quite important. He also says that the sense may be possessed and is possessed not only by individual human beings, but by whole peoples. And he's gonna talk about his fellow Spaniards, the Iberian, you, you might say, consciousness, cause he's also gonna talk about Portuguese in here. And he's, he's also gonna talk about the Basques as well at certain points. So th- this may be possessed by whole peoples. And he says, this does not so much flow from my ideas as determine them, even though afterwards it is manifest. These ideas react upon it and confirm it. So this tragic sense of life uses ideas. You could say it's in a dialectical relationship with ideas. Ideas allow it to articulate itself, but there's something more than just the ideas. And he also goes on and he says, sometimes it may originate in a chance illness. Other times it's constitutional and it's useless to speak of people who are healthy and people who are not healthy. Apart from the fact that there's no normal standard of health, nobody has proved that human beings are necessarily cheerful by nature. And further, human beings, by the fact of being humans with possession consciousness, is in comparison with the ass or the crab. A diseased animal consciousness is a disease. So being conscious and not hiding one's head in the sand or in escapism of various sorts or throwing oneself into some sort of solve-it-all movement or set of ideas is going to provoke this tragic sense of life within us. And he gives us a listing of his own people that he thinks exhibit this some of whom i'll admit i haven't read all of these people myself and you probably haven't heard of some of them but you'll certainly have heard of the first several he says i recall now these are men of flesh and bone who are typical examples of those who possess this tragic sense of life he says marcus aurelius saint augustine pascal rousseau Rene, obermann thompson Leopardi, Vigny, Lenau, Kleist, Amiel, Kental, Kierkegaard. And he says that these are people who are burdened with wisdom rather than knowledge. And so that's kind of an interesting list if you think about it. Some of these are people that, when we talk about existentialism, get called proto-existentialists, particularly Saint Augustine and Pascal, but All of them are concerned with making sense out of this, you could call it, general human condition in their own way that we all have to deal with. When we go to the conclusion, which has this very interesting and provocative title, Don Quixote and the Contemporary European Tragicomedy. There is a sort of philosophy within the Quixote, Unamuno says, that one can dig out and Europe itself, the European consciousness, has got itself away from this tragic sense of life. And so he's got these interesting ruminations upon the possibility of a Spanish philosophy. So he tells us, uh, this is a bit deep in it, he's talking about somebody who really nobody reads anymore, but was a very popular German author doing a lot of things, particularly the history of philosophy, Wendelband. And he tells us that Wendelband thinks that philosophy in the systematic sense is the critical knowledge of values of universal validity, and Unamono goes on and says, what values are there more universal validity than that of the human will seeking before all the personal individual and concrete immortality of the soul? Or in other words, the human finality of the universe. What values are there more universal validity than the rational mathematical value and the volitional or teleological value of the universe in conflict with each other? And here we're getting to something that is really key to this tragic sense of life. We have, as human beings, these various modes of using our consciousness to understand things, to understand vital domains of life, and rationality and the sciences are one way in which we do that. But the person who confines himself to just those is, in a certain sense, not even a tragic being, but rather a comic being, a truncated being, somebody who is not grasping at least the available totality of existence. I won't say the entire totality of existence, but there is so much more than just what can be made rational. And so he goes on and he says, we will be told yet again, there's never been any Spanish philosophy in the technical sense of the word. I will answer by asking, what is this sense? What does philosophy mean? And Vindelbond and people like him say that it's really just philosophy as science. And he goes and he says, doesn't philosophy have any other office to perform? May not its office be to reflect upon the tragic sense of life itself, such as we've been studying it in this book, to formulate this conflict between reason and faith, between science and religion, and deliberately, here's the key right here, to perpetuate this conflict. Now that is a really good formulation of what philosophy could be doing and what existentialist philosophy, in fact, in some cases does. It realizes that we have these different domains and they don't all have to actually end up on the same page. We don't have to turn everything into science. We don't have to turn everything into some brand of philosophy. We don't have to accept these sorts of claims. We also don't have to allow religion to dominate everything. We can realize the conflict between these, and philosophy doesn't have to say, ah, well, I'm either going to be the handmaid of theology or the handmaid of the the sciences. That's not the only option available for us. Philosophy can look at this tragic conflict that we have within ourselves, and instead of simply trying to resolve this conflict, it can perpetuate it, as Unamuno says. That is not going to be something that philosophers like Vindelbond or really many people in philosophy departments are going to be particularly happy to do. Although, you know, it's kind of funny because it would provide you at least some job security, would it not? Right? So if you're thinking in purely economic motives, which are not tragic motives, that might have some play. He goes on a little bit later in the chapter and he says that philosophy is the science of the tragedy of life, a reflection on the tragic sense of it. An essay in this philosophy with its inevitable internal contradictions and antinomies is what I have attempted in these essays. Again, Unamuno is not trying to harmonize everything. He's not trying to explain contradictions away. He wants these contradictions to come to the fore and to provoke their emotional or affective responses on our part so that we're really aware of the problems that are posed before us. And we can cultivate this in terms of this overarching tragic sense of life. So I think chapter one in the conclusion gave you some good ideas about what's going on here. There are a couple places where he talks about the basis or the source of the tragic sense of life, but it might be good to focus on something that's happening in the middle of the book in chapter six, where he talks about this religious despair, and he talks about suffering and dealing with all of these sorts of matters. So he tells us that I have brought the reader who's had the patience to follow me halfway through the book, endeavoring always to do equal justice to the claims of reason and feeling. I don't want to keep silence on matters about which others are silenced. I have sought to strip naked not only my own soul, but the human soul, be its nature what it is, its destiny to disappear or not to disappear. And we have arrived at the bottom of the abyss, at the irreconcilable conflict between reason and vital feeling. And he goes on and he says that, He who looks for reasons, strictly so-called scientific arguments, technically logical reflections, may refuse to follow me further. Anybody's free to read whatever they want. Anybody can follow along. There's no, like, absolute internal necessity to go along with Unamuno in this discussion of the tragic sense of life. But he says that, I hope to gather everything together and to show that this religious despair, which I have been talking about, which is nothing other than the tragic sense of life itself is, though more or less hidden, the very foundation of the consciousness of civilized individuals and peoples today. So he's saying there's something going on. We can hide ourselves from it and we can find a million ways to distract ourselves. But if we're sufficiently attentive and sufficiently bold to follow out what's really going on, we will discover this tragic sense of life at the bottom. And the tragic sense of life is a sense for this interminable, conflict between these you might say polarities of the human being he goes on and he says of those individuals and those peoples who do not suffer from stupidity of intellect or stupidity of feeling notice that isn't that an interesting parallel there stupidity of intellect an inability to use your intellect well to follow things through to their very ends but we can also have a stupidity of feeling He's not just talking about emotional intelligence, by the way, here. He is talking about something that goes deeper than that recent psychological movement, which is useful itself in its own right, and often best when it's drawing upon classic philosophy, as it does. A little bit of a digression there. So he says that this tragic sense is the spring of heroic achievements. Isn't that an interesting way to describe it? It's the spring of heroic achievements. Why? Because in order to do anything genuinely heroic, you don't have the, the whole thing laid out for you in advance with a nice checklist and everything in its place and a set of procedures that you just follow from point to point to point. You actually have to stake your own life. You actually have to commit yourself. You actually have to take choices that you'll take responsibility for And say, yes, I could be wrong about this, but I am going to go slay the hydra. Or tackle whatever else has to be tackled. It's good to remember that one of Hercules' jobs, if we're talking about heroic, was cleaning out a terrible area full of manure. (laughs) Now, of course, he found a way to do that. It was kind of crazy. That isn't available for all of us. But this tragic sense of life leads us to be able to take on things that are, in some degree, beyond what we think we're capable of. It doesn't have to be heroism in the sense of saving entire peoples and nations. It could be heroism in terms of loving somebody who is largely unlovable and sticking with that and not doing so just out of a sense of resignation, right? But doing so out of a vast adventure that you're on. It could be all sorts of things. Don Quixote, who he talks about in the end, may be an emblem of this as well. Now, we should talk about this basis or source as well. In chapter two, early on in the work, he is going to tell us that the basis of the tragic sense of life lies in the realization of a certain conflict. He says, living is one thing, knowing is another, as we shall see, perhaps there is such an opposition between the two, we may say that everything vital is anti-rational, not merely irrational, and that everything rational is anti-vital, and this is the basis of the tragic sense of life, this awareness of the conflict, of things that cannot be completely assimilated to each other, but which attempt to. And then in chapter nine, he talks about this eternal anguish, and it's in the context of a discussion of suffering which is quite important. He tells us that uh, this is in the chapter on faith, hope, and charity. He says, Suffering is the substance of life and the root of personality. It is only suffering that makes us persons and suffering is universal. Suffering is that which unites all us living beings together. That which we call will, what is it but suffering? And then he says, And suffering has degrees according to the depth of its penetration. From the suffering that floats on the sea of appearances to the eternal anguish the source of the tragic sense of life, which seeks a habitation in the depths of the eternal and there awakens consolation from the physical suffering that contorts our bodies to religious anguish. So then he says, anguish is something far deeper more intimate and more spiritual than just suffering. What is he talking about there? Well, Our response to this conflict between, we could say, reason and life, or between the objects of religion and the objects of science or the activities, this conflict within us is not just purely individual. It's not about taking the the person who's suffering and then adjusting them to society the way that ego psychology wanted to do early in the, the last century. No, it's about realizing that this is the human condition. And we can hide this from ourselves, or we can actually do justice to it within ourselves. And that is the source of this thing that he calls the tragic sense of life. This entire book is devoted to providing insights into this tragic sense of life and leading us to be able to more clearly cognize it. As I mentioned before, he doesn't provide definitions, but I think that these characterizations might be quite helpful as you're approaching Unamuno's great work. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible.